0: that you kind of already made it official and like put it out there which means it's too late to change the theme music it's not too late my... to change the theme music
1: oh okay good because my religious diversity prof mm-hmm. did this really awkward middle-aged white man thing mm. where he had the lyrics to a song he wanted but isn't musical and so instead of figuring out how to put a song on his powerpoint he awkwardly read the lyrics to imagine by john lennon Really slowly to the class, and paused and kind of nodded us and goes instrumental. (laughs)
0: Good intro music to our podcast. Wait, so how how what would the intro music to our? It would just like be someone saying instrumental over and over again.
1: Imagine there's no heaven, duh da, da, da it's easy if you try, but instrumental. No hell below us. mm mm-hmm. above us only sky, then there's some piano.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh did you did you record him doing this? I didn't. Mm. I was
1: Hi, welcome to You Should Care About This.
0: In which I, John, older brother and history nerd, try to convince...
1: Aaron, younger sister, not history nerd.
0: To care about Christian history by telling mostly true stories of people's revolts and revolutionary movements. So, 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 uh, today I wanted to talk to you about the thing we didn't talk about last time, but instead we talked about, uh, Münster and the Anabaptists. I wanted to talk about the opening... And the feudal system. And the feudal system the futile system. Instead, I wanted to talk this time about the Oberlin-Wellington Rescue.
1: Of the college?
0: They didn't rescue the college.
1: But Oberlin of the college?
0: Oberlin of the college, yes. Yeah.
1: Or the city? That's, yeah, yeah
0: both, both and, both and. Okay. Um, but in order to talk about this particular event in the 19th century, we have to go back to a term from high school history class called the Second Great Awakening, do you remember something called the Second Great Awakening?
1: Uh, does Mr. Scott listen to this podcast?
0: Our high school history teacher? Uh, probably not.
1: Okay, uh, no, I don't.
0: Okay, okay. You no, know, you don't, nothing nothing at all, nothing at well,
1: all. Well, give me a hint. When is it?
0: 19th century, as in the 1800s.
1: Does it have to do with Rob well, No, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and save it. You can give me the position, and it'll feel pretty fresh.
0: All right, all right. Okay, so... Okay. The Second Great Awakening is the 1800s, maybe like 1820s to 1840s-ish, mm-hmm. um, and this is where, in many ways, this is where like evangelicalism in the United States is born. This is where people first have like tent revivals, and this is That's where people nice. like can like get called down to the altar to get saved right then and there.
1: Yes, altar call is actually yeah, they
0: do the altar call. And yeah, they, they have the okay. tent revival and they sing the hymns. Uh so yeah, so Second Great Awakening is really focused on uh people like getting moved by the Holy Spirit and having like a like a powerful moment of, of getting saved. But it's also really political. And religion is always really political, especially in yeah. the US, but and uh, everywhere and always. Uh but in this case, a lot of the people involved in the Second Great Awakening were what is called Post millennialists, instead of uh, you know the opposite being pre millennialists. Do those words mean a single thing to you?
1: I um, not correctly.
0: <laughs> if you were to make up a meaning of one,
1: um, so post millennial would be like I don't know, like one o'clock. So like after people have had brunch, then the the people in the restaurant like now it's post millennial time. I guess brunch yes. can go until 1 o'clock. So like the 4 o'clock well, stuff. Well, brunch
0: can go way past 1 o'clock. Um, anyway, I'm not here to argue about the beginning and end points of brunch. What we're here to argue about is whether Jesus will return to Earth before the thousand-year reign of peace or after the thousand-year reign of peace.
1: Wait, when did, when does the reign of peace begin?
0: Uh, it's, well, it's debatable. Um, the debate is, does the second coming? Well, it's the thing that gets mentioned in the Book of Revelation, in in uh, like Revelation chapter twenty or something like that. Right,
1: but if they're in the eighteen hundreds, did did are they like, oh man, peace really began in eight hundred? No, 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 no. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, the
0: thing that they are are looking. Yeah, they they don't believe the world has ended. They believe the world will end, and the debate is will Jesus will the second coming happen before there's a thousand year reign of peace, or will
1: uh, come back
0: after this is where you get all these all these people um who are like the world's going to end like next tuesday we're all going to go stand on top of this hill and we're going to wait for the world to end and then they were wrong and that's how you get uh the Simpsons
1: episodes about got it yeah
0: sure or maybe the seventh day adventists or, or some other groups like that that mm-hmm. format out of okay um yeah being slightly wrong about the end of the world plenty of mennonites also were like go on top we're going on top of that hill or like one group of mennonites marched, like, all the way to, like, Azerbaijan or something, and um, they were they were incorrect. Okay. Um, so, so many of the people at this time period are post-millennialists, which is if no it'll longer very – happen
1: after the thousand years of peace.
0: Yes. Yes. Jesus is the second coming is going to happen after. Um, this is no longer a very popular view in evangelical Christianity. Essentially what it means – the, what the political difference is between these two viewpoints is – if you believe that, um, this, like, the world is gonna there's gonna be a thousand years of peace on earth, and then Jesus is gonna come, that means that the earth has to keep getting better and better for there to be a thousand year reign of peace, and then Jesus will come back. Right. But if you're a premillennialist, you think Jesus is gonna come back. What you think is more or less the world's gonna have to get worse and worse and worse, and then Jesus is gonna come back and save everyone. It may or may not be a rapture. Um, and then there'll be a thousand year reign of peace. Got it. Yep. 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 Um, if you're a post-millennialist, like many Mm -hmm. of the people in the second great awakening, you believe that a big part of your job as a Christian is to make the world a better place for people. Okay. You think that you can institute, you can be a part of making the world a good enough place that eventually Jesus will come back as opposed to the world's going to go to shit and like You know, sort of late great planet Earth, everything's going to burn, and a few lucky people get raptured. Right. Right. So the Second Great Awakening was, like, very evangelical, very altar call, very fiery, fire-and-brimstone preaching, but it's also a lot of its participants are very feminist, and a lot of its participants are very abolitionist.
1: Yeah, like, when we're saying 1800s, like, what side of Civil War are we talking?
0: Pre-Civil War. It, Civil War is 1860. And we're yeah,
1: 1865.
0: Like, yes, very good. Oh, we're like you. in 1820s, 1830s at this point. Okay. Um, you know, not all abolitionists are like fiery evangelicals. There are like liberals and Unitarian ab- abolitionists up in like Massachusetts.
1: And Quakers, who I don't and think are fire. They're, they're,
0: yeah, no, no, no. Well, they're
1: well, fiery in their own means. Fire in their own means, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, Worship is not.
0: Listen, listen, we all have different styles of worship, um, and maybe we'll talk about some fiery Quakers in later later episode, but this is about the evangelicals,
1: and yeah, the evangelical
0: abolitionists were, like, intense. So the most famous one is a man named Charles Finney. Charles Finney more or less invented the altar call. Um, and he would pitch a giant tent in the middle of the countryside and preach for, like, three days to, like, 10,000 people. Again, nice. yeah, no microphones, just a really loud voice. When he would call people up to get saved, he would ask them two questions. Are you ready to follow Jesus, and are you ready to join the abolition movement? Because if you're not ready to do the second, you're not actually ready to do the first.
1: So you should ask them in the other order. Well... I had a question. Oh shoot, did I forget it? Oh yeah, where where in the old United States is this?
0: Finney comes out of the Greater New York area. Okay. Um but he actually
1: is a Red Sox fan, not a Yankees fan.
0: No no no. He's a well, neither exist right now. Do you think he's a Red Sox fan from New York? Excuse me?
1: Yeah, those exist.
0: Let's sure, they do. Fine, he
1: can like the Mets. No one likes the Mets.
0: I'm not going to have this argument with you, but I'm just going to note that you confused the cities of Boston and New York there. No, I didn't. Aren't you? Yes, you did. You just said he was – this is not a productive conversation. Okay, so he's
1: in the greater New York area in 1820.
0: Yeah. So he cheered for neither team because they didn't exist yet. So uh, in 1833 – let's put Charleston aside for right now. In 1833, these two – uh fiery evangelical folks move out to the far western edges of US colonial expansion, which is uh central Ohio. And yes. uh they uh wander into the swamp. Well they first they go to the town of Illyria, which is this small town, and they're like, That's too many heathens here, can't live here and so they like go a little bit south to the swamp and they're like, Ah oh, yes, the swamp um and they pray under a tree and uh God tells them to start an intentional community and college in the town that they now call Oberlin College.
1: Oh, you said Iowa. I said Ohio. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Maybe I heard Iowa. Ohio uh, makes more sense in this context.
0: So they were in Idaho. Yeah, got it. Um, This small town is founded as a college for training missionaries and also an intentional community. People had to sign... A covenant to live there. They all had to agree to paint their house the same color red because that was the cheapest, longest-lasting paint. They weren't allowed <laughs> to drink coffee. Uh, one student, early student, was expelled for bringing his own black pepper to make his food not taste boring.
1: Wait, so it was? It was the college was formed before the town was
0: formed at the same time.
1: Same time, got it.
0: was established in eighteen thirty-three. There's a a community and a college together. Everyone's agreeing to live in, like, strict observance. Um, Of red houses. Red houses and bland food and studying the Bible a lot and getting ready to be a missionary and save souls. The problem with starting a community like this is it doesn't get you a lot of money. So it's like three years in, 1836, they're about to go broke.
1: Okay. And
0: they're like, well, this has been a disaster of an experiment. Not good. What manages to happen at the same time is that a bunch of seminary students down in Cincinnati, Lane Seminary, get themselves expelled from their seminary because they've been doing a lot of uh, organizing people in the town to support slaves escaping, like supporting black folks who live in, in Cincinnati, and the seminary is like, we can't be having with that, so you are uh, you are hereby expelled. And so they go up to Oberlin at the other end of the state and they say, hey, if you meet some of our demands, we'll all come to your school and bring a bunch of money and and people, and then your school will not collapse. And some one of their demands was we want Charles Finney to come teach here. And he's gonna bring a bunch of money. It's gonna be a bunch of money coming from New York to support the project. But you also have to admit students regardless of race and regardless of gender. And uh despite the fact so basically Wait, so
1: previously, previously this was a white men college and and then the Cincinnati people are coming in and changing it?
0: Yeah, more or less. Okay. um uh, so, so basically so the Oberlin College Board is with the decision. Um they can either decide to admit students regardless of race, regardless of gender, and support abolition and have one of the most famous preachers in the entire country come teach there in his spare time and also get a bunch of funding from New York and a bunch of new students, or they can decide to go broke and closed because they're racist.
1: Ooh. Two Tough choice.
0: Yes. Well, and it, came, it was a tie, and the college president had, or uh, one person had to see a college president had to step in and, like, cast a deciding vote in favor of doing this. So Oberlin College becomes a a school um, where white and black students are studying together um, and where some women are studying as well. It's very complicated. There's a lot of, like, it's not actually as, like, maybe as radical and equal as they would have liked. But what happens is you get this really, really leftist, abolitionist school. Okay. Right? So the, the two questions at the school, are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to join the abolition movement? So in the town of Oberlin, they didn't celebrate Independence Day. They didn't celebrate July Fourth okay. because they said there's no Independence Day for Black folks in this country. So why do we celebrate that? Um, right,
1: Juneteenth was not a thing yet.
0: Juneteenth is not yet a thing. Uh, so and they had their graduate students, their their students would graduate and go out as, as missionaries, and they'd be you know preaching, preaching gospel, preaching gospel, preaching abolition, and then they get beaten up and chased out of town. So Oberlin students are getting chased um, out of town, and all of
1: something's them, never said, changed.
0: Uh, And all of the nice liberals on the East Coast, all the wealthy folks in New York and other people, are will refer to Oberlin people as intolerant and bigoted, as in they're bigoted towards racists. This is not at all like today. Very different.
1: Yeah, I got you. Um,
0: Cool. So uh, 1850. What happens in 1850? United States passes the Fugitive Slave Law. Thank you. Yeah, it's not going to be good. Like, you were like, lots of things happened in 1850. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna start naming things. Honestly,
0: what else could you name that happened in 1850?
1: No, I was joking. Keep going.
0: Okay, great. So, fugitive slave law means if uh, someone suspects you to be, uh, if you're black, if someone suspects you of being an escaped slave, they can more or less arrest you. Citizens arrest you and and like drag you back south.
1: Uh, yeah, regardless so of it, where
0: you are. Yeah. So it's just a law for kidnapping black people. So the so the pressure on Things like the Underground Railroad and other means that, uh, black folks are escaping slavery, that the pressure intensifies on, on those, on those things. And Oberlin is, of course, very involved in helping enslaved people escape and get up to Canada or like be able to live in around the Oberlin area and feel safe. Uh, And what happens is that there's this man named John Price and he had escaped from in Kentucky. Got across the river, got across most of Ohio, got to Oberlin, and was, mm-hmm. like, living there. It was, like, living in mm-hmm. a house, just chilling. And in 1858, uh, September 1858, um, some people are up there looking for him, and they sort of, like, lure him out of the house and drag him into their uh, buggy, and they drive off. Okay. And they realize, so, so their plan is, we're going to get John Price onto a train, and we're going to get him back to Kentucky. And they realize okay. we have to do this as fast as possible because we're in a town and in an area full of abolitionists. They don't even stay in Oberlin. They ride their buggy ten miles south to the small town of Wellington, where there's a train stop, and they're going to hold up, hold up in the, uh in the inn outside the train station in the tiny, tiny town of Wellington, and they're going to put them on a train and they're gonna send them south. Okay. So this is their this is their scheme. Unfortunately, uh, A bunch of people realize that uh, John Price has been kidnapped. Someone sees it happen and they sound the alarm and just about everybody and their cousin starts heading, running the 10 miles south from Oberlin to Wellington. They're on horses. They're on buggies. One guy is like, uh, riding a, I think, a wagon, and the wheel breaks on the wagon. And so he just, like, runs over the nearest farm and, like, steals a wheel off a wagon, like, puts it on his wagon and keeps going. Nice. And like, people are, like, running on foot with, like, pitchforks and, like, guns. And they're just like, we're going to get John Price. The college, like, college professors and, like, college presidents and, like, housekeepers and just, like, everyone and their cousin is headed down there. Yeah. Right?
1: Team effort. Team effort.
0: We're like, this guy is not... Um, you know, it's you know, it's sort of like the like the airport demonstrations right after Trump was elected. Like everybody is going to the airport.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we're just gonna we're gonna try to stop this thing from happening.
1: Okay.
0: Um similar sort of similar sort of energy. Uh and there's this guy named named uh Charles Langston, um, who uh eventually becomes a well known lawyer, uh works out of Kansas, our home state, for quite a while. Um mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, one of his descendants becomes a famous poet. Anyone, do you want to guess what his name is? Langston Hughes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So this is an ancestor of Langston Hughes. Um, Anyway, Charles Langston uh, is the first black graduate of Oberlin. He gets there pretty early, and he climbs up on the roof of the inn to negotiate with these marshals who have have kidnapped uh, John Price. And they're like, no, we're not turning him over to you. And... Wellington's like we have the place surrounded. There are lots of people here from Overland, from Wellington, from everywhere else. Like we're all angry. Some people have guns. I'm not threatening you. I'm just saying. Uh, and they're like laying no. all the facts on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he does kind of threaten them and says, "Well, we'll we'll have him anyway." And so they they storm the inn. They like break down the door, rush up the stairs, um, and these guys are like trapped in a top in like the room on the top floor, being like, mm-hmm. "We're about to get." Killed by a mob um, right, and they're like threatening to shoot at each other, and they're like you know it's like very very tense um and eventually the mob does like break down the door and just sort of overwhelm everyone in the room, and John Price is like carried out over the heads of everyone else, and like crowd uh, uh, yeah, he crowd surfs his way out of the inn and they put him on a buggy, and they disappear him, and they get into Canada um and he like is never is never found by anyone in the US. Um he lives for a short while in Canada and eventually dies. But um this crowd is all satisfied that they've got John Price out. Um no one's no one's been shot, so they all go home. And they, mm-hmm. they go home and they throw a big party and there's like ringing of the uh, bells in the church and there are speeches. Oh, it's there's
1: a serious party and- then.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's nothing like some bell ringing and some men making speeches. Uh I, was I mean, again, if you're not allowed to have black pepper with your food, like, this is exciting.
1: That's true. That's true. Okay.
0: Contact. Also, you just, like, you also just, like, de-arrested a friend, right? You just, like, busted a friend out of, like, a temporary detention center. It's, like, pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, good job. You should ring all the bells you want. So this happens, and unfortunately, it's illegal to do this. And so um, the court in Cleveland... Cleveland's a big city in Ohio. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Issues warrants for arresting 37 men who are involved in this. And so 37 people... They're all it's, a,
1: it's illegal to party or it's illegal to... Oh, the you just say that. It's illegal to get John Price out.
0: I mean, you should fight for your right to party. But uh, in this case... But that's illegal, not what you're referring so to. Okay. Not, it's not a Beastie Boys situation. So 37 people are arrested. 37 men are arrested. All of them from Oberlin, despite the fact that some other towns are involved. One of them is like teaching in a school nearby and like doesn't know there's a warrant out for his arrest and like the cops bust in and drag him out and his students are all just sitting there like what just happened there's class in
1: session um
0: and their teacher's in jail
1: i think it's the you wait 10 minutes when you get to leave
0: situation i, I think it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah.
1: actually where that rule came from
0: so they're all they're all in jail and they all refuse to post bail together
1: mm-hmm. and
0: two solidarity use, forever so they're, yeah, yeah, they're doing some jail solidarity. They're like messing up the court process. Prosecutors decide to put two people on trial first, Simon Bushnell and Charles Langston. Remember him from previously. Um and so they're put on they're put on trial in Cleveland and um they're both found guilty. Charles Langston, black man, gives this like really impassioned defense, which I'd like to read you a quote from. Can I read you a quote from it? Yes, do it. Okay. So he finishes his speech by saying I must take upon myself the responsibility of self-protection. And when I come to be claimed by some perjured wretch as his slave, I shall never be taken into slavery. And as in that trying hour, I would have others do to me, as I would call upon my friends to help me, as I would call upon you, your honor, to help me, as I would call upon you, the district attorney, to help me, and upon you, Judge Bliss, and upon you, my counsel, to help me. So help me, God. I stand here to say that I will do all I can For any man thus seized and helped, though the inevitable penalty of six months imprisonment and $1,000 fine for each offense hangs over me, we have a common humanity. You would do so, your manhood would require it, and no no matter what the laws might be, you would honor yourself for doing it, your friends would honor you for doing it, your children to all generations would honor you for doing it, and every good and honest man would say you had done right.
1: Atticus Finch, shit, right there. Nice job.
0: Great, great speech. He was found guilty. Yeah. Um, Kevin uh, Bushnell and Charles Langston are found guilty, and the other thirty-five people say, "That's cool. We're not going to leave." Like, and they're given um, like a couple of months in jail. Everyone else who's arrested says, "Cool, we're not going to leave until they're released." Which mm-hmm. sort of, puts, gotcha. it it really kind of fills up the jail. So, <laughs> there's a what they do is they just sort of like set up shop there they somehow get a printing press and they start like printing a newsletter from inside the jail um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all of the so at this point basically everyone in Oberlin belongs to the same church so on sunday mornings everyone from Oberlin would take the train up to cleveland and they would do church there and you know the preacher would preach from inside the prison and then the sunday school teacher would come and teach sunday schools to prison and then like the choir director would come up and like lead the choir and they would sing on both sides of the of the not the prison the jail uh wall and uh it becomes a big like fundraiser for um the abolitionist movement, like all these famous abolitionists come through and they give mm-hmm. speeches and they do fundraiser events for them, and you know John Brown comes in and like yep. everyone's like, oh John Brown, yes, 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 um, and so three of the people who are in, who are in jail would eventually join. John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. So it yes, just becomes, but he once lived
1: in Kansas.
0: It's true. It's true. Yeah, he comes from Kansas to like go visit them. He they turn it into a media circus. Like it's just mm-hmm. it's just absurd. Uh, and like all the national media is writing about all these people who are refusing to leave jail and who are like just like parting it up. And there's this great quote from their their newsletter, which they are publishing from inside the jail, mm-hmm. um, where they are are counting. Um, They're doing a census of everyone who is in jail, and it says um, the population of jail is horse thief, one, counterfeiting, one, murder, one, drunkenness, one, assault and battery, one, grand larceny, seven, petty larceny, eight, burglary, three, and believing in the higher law, 20. (laughs) 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 They're just like, no, we have to do this because God says we have to do this. Uh, like we don't have like you know it's that it's that length and speech like we just, this is our obligation. Um, eventually, what happens is that back in Overland's home county of Lorraine County, a judge signs a warrant to arrest the bounty hunters, the people who came to kidnapped John Price, and so they get arrested, and they under say, under he, what grounds? Just under because the judge said so for okay. kidnapping. Yep. They get arrested for kidnapping. Okay, um, which is you know. I don't know if that's really legal, but the judge signs the warrant, so they're arrested and they cut a deal where if you don't charge us with kidnapping, everyone who was arrested and either has been convicted or is awaiting trial includes them can all get let go. So everyone from Overland gets to come home from jail, and then these kidnappers get to go. Deal. And of course they they go home and there's another big party and the ringing of bells and tasting and the making of speeches. Um, this like is a is a massive massive media touchpoint for this is 1858 1859 so leading up to the election in 1860 um with all this tension people are thinking what happens if there are more overlands what happens if another town just refuses to cooperate with the federal government just like yeah all of the elite members of the town go to jail and like people are asking to go to jail like what what, what do we do if just like whole parks of uh, the country refused to cooperate with the slavery system. And there's a lot of concern that, like, Oberlin's going to replicate itself. That, like, yes. what people thought was this, like, weird, crazy fringe has managed to shift the conversation. Um, by, like, making a media circus out of their trial, they've pulled the question of what is reasonable really far to the left. And it's been, like, really on point about, like, we're doing this because we believe in Jesus. Like, also, we're seminary students. Like, don't argue with us about this. We read it more than you have. Um, yeah. You know, Which like getting support. by is like by, patterns
1: that we see in the civil rights movement too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Like know? the
1: children's march.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where they we filled claim. the jail with children. Yeah, and they claim the moral high ground, and they like have the arguments to back it up. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to argue with a jail full of children. So this like makes has a big impact on the national conversation. And then and then what happens after the Civil War, to sort of wrap up the story here, um, but also keep it nice and complicated, is um after slavery is abolished, what becomes clear is that a lot of the white folks in Oberlin were anti slavery, but they're not necessarily pro integration. Or they're not necessarily uh like they don't want people to marry each other of different races. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want people to live together. And so, um, Oberlin takes kind of a really, like, rightward swing in its political activism. Um, and I have a good way of ending this. That's the oh, Wellington Rescue.
1: This that is, is – of- uh, you did a good job. It was an interesting story. I liked it.
0: Thank you. What did you learn today?
1: So today I learned about the Second Reformation. Mm, sure. What is it called?
0: Uh, Second Great Awakening.
1: Second Great Awakening. Um I didn't call it renaissance, which I'm proud of. So the Second Great Awakening, which was uh, part abolitionist, part evangelical. And -hmm. then the people went over to Oberlin and put down their stuff there and made a college. And then the people in Cincinnati came over because they got kicked out of their seminary. And they said, okay, but you have to let black people and women in. And they said, well, I guess maybe. And so then they did and then the Fugitive Slave Act happened in eighteen fifty, among maybe other things, but we're not quite sure yet.
0: Mm-hmm. And can't be can't be proven.
1: Right. Um and then oh, this guy named John Price got arrested and the town was like, Nope, we don't play he got, got, got
0: kidnapped. He got kidnapped. He
1: got, so you you got kidnapped. Important difference. And was going to get taken back to Kentucky. And the town said no thank you, and um, some of the people who went to free John Price and bring him to Canada got arrested, and they kind of just took over to jail for a couple months. Yeah. And then they won, they got out of jail, well they won in the sense that they got out of jail, and... Um, And the country was kind of worried that this would happen all over because it made some good points, which is that um, people should be worried about other people because they're people. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Cool.
0: Yeah. You, you learned some things. What did you learn? Um, I, and I guess what I what I learned, because I, I hadn't read this, that, that Charles Langston quote recently, um, was that he's basically asking all of the officials in the court to commit civil disobedience with him.
1: Yeah. He's basically
0: saying, like, I would do this, and I think all of you would, too, if someone you love were in this situation. And I love that, like, I am currently on trial, and I have faith that the people putting me on trial would do something different if, like, or like, I believe in your capacity to act well, even if you are currently not doing it. I don't always have that uh generosity.